Don't you, don't you love technology, Alex? Don't you love it? Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, joining me on the Godcast today is Jonathan Vieira. Now, jo Jonathan Vieira is a wonderful singer who sings in uh, different genres and uh, his talents have taken him across the country and across Europe and across the world. Jonathan, it's really wonderful to welcome you to the Godcast. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. I'm just recovering from kidney a kidney transplant. It happened two, two months ago. Um, my wife gave me one of her kidneys, which I'm very grateful for. And uh, so we're, we're just kind of finding our way back into life, really. So it's, it's great doing this. Great doing this. And my concert's live from the Steinway Room on, online on, on a Sunday night. So that, that was the, that we did that first last week. But back here, that was the first one after six, seven weeks off completely well two months off actually and uh so we're back back doing that on a sunday night so it was yes it's been interesting you know to say the least so how am i a multifaceted question that is indeed <laughs> as, if, as if you don't need enough during the pandemic with the virus itself you go and you you go and arrange a, a kidney transplant that must have been quite an anxious an anxious time for you terrible i mean it was the worst i, I went into i was in dialysis for seven months and dialysis is Nobody really knows about dialysis until you do it, and goodness knows it's a horrible thing to have to have to, to do on a you know three 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 times a week, four hours a time. Um, it's completely restricted. You cannot go anywhere. You can't do anything. You're a slave to the, the dialysis unit, and um, you're there with um, twenty seven other people having the same thing done, having your blood cleaned, and if you don't have it, then you'll simply quite quite simply you'll die. And um, so having the kidney transplant is a, is a wonderful treatment and it gives you the possibility of life again. And I'm very grateful to um, beyond the grateful, grateful that doesn't quite communicate it to my wife, Sue, who um, has donated one of her kidneys. So it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. And through the pandemic, it was like a perfect storm, Alex. Mm. You know, um, I think a lot of people found that. And we've, we've, we've been over this pandemic doing this show because we couldn't go out and do anything. I've done no shows since March uh, 2020, March the 6th, 2020. And uh, as a performer, I've never, ever been in this position where I couldn't earn a living. I just could not earn a living. You couldn't do anything. All the concerts that we were had planned, 27, 30 concerts were cancelled. Immediately the tour was cancelled. And uh, we're now, just today, we're confirming some dates around the country coming into the autumn. And um, I, I can't wait, but uh, you know, it, it's been it's been terrible for everybody, and it's been a nightmare for everybody. I think actually, yeah. um, apart from people who love to be stuck in a house, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I love all genres of music, uh, Jonathan. And um, recently, just a few weeks ago, I was at the Tramlines Festival in Sheffield, and um, it was a yeah. an, kind of an indie festival, but the. The sense of joy there, not just from the, the, the crowds, but from the artists as well, this kind of euphoria that yeah. things were kind of getting back to some sort of normality. How how excited are you about actually standing there and performing in front of a live, live audience? You cannot believe it. I mean, it's interesting how it, it was my lifeblood for 35 years. I would get up and do 40 or 50 performances a year and um, around the world in opera or classical music. And then uh, of late in my one man shows, 
um, uh, around the country uh, to, to all to live audiences and to the challenge for a performer is always to, to 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 perform in front of people and that that means that you've got to you've got to work you've got to, you've got to practice you know you're you're practicing the shop if you're then. Well, I've been I've been sitting there playing Chopin to try and get my fingers back into um, they call them the chops my uh, so I can I can play in front of an audience because one of the things is you think can I still do it and I know a lot of people in a lot of professions are going well actually I did this for so long but can I still do it now I I, I remember being able to do it a year and a half ago but the process of performing and um, the skills. Uh, associated when you haven't done it you've been watching Netflix and you know Prime and and the BBC iPlayer and you've been tidying a room or you've been having an operation and you haven't had anything I can't wait to just stand in there somebody said somebody said to me that I was doing another podcast the other day and they said have you thought of the first words you're going to say when you get out in front of an audience and I just said I thought about it and I think it's going to be this evening that's my first word all right after that, I'll see where I go. I have no idea. And all I know is that I'll be standing in front of people and having a good time. And they are hungry people, as you said. In fact, they're hungry for live music. They want performance because it's it's the essence of who we are, actually. Music and live performance, not just pre-recorded stuff on Spotify. And everybody can get all my stuff on Spotify. It's great. But actually, the truth is that you need to be out there performing it and singing and using the voice, you know, um, which we've done, we've done nothing. All we get, we, you know, you've been in your pajamas for the last sixteen months and trousers that are, are loose fitting. Remember that, Alex? Remember those, you know, elasticated waist. Long time ago. <laughs> need, need I tell you more? Yeah. And <laughs> Jonathan, just so, you know, just from your it. your health, are you feeling the benefits of the transplant already? It's only been. Yeah, I am. I mean, yeah. Sue says I'm looking better, but to be honest, with a face like this, I don't know whether you can ever look better. You just kind of look as you are. So I, I, I can never tell what, whether I'm looking better or not, but I have more energy. And so, the uh, Alex, you never know what the kidney does until, you, until it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then you realise that it's a multifunctional organ that makes uh, nearly everything else work. So um, I've... I, I feel more energetic. I mean, I lose energy over a day, so I've got to yeah. do various things today. I was up at the hospital in London, so I live in Guildford, and I had to go up to London for a blood test at, at seven o'clock this morning. And so, you know, you do that twice a week, and um, you respond to various drug regimes and things. But in the meantime, I've been at the piano trying to, you know, sing, trying to work out whether I can sing, you know. Rock on Three. 
themselves i didn't call them this they called themselves the jv community and we, we raised twenty thousand six hundred and eighty-five pounds to go and record employ musicians um, in studios and some of the best musicians in the world because of course they were unemployed so i had to pick up anybody i wanted and uh you've got some real fabulous names like ben castle who's played on every album known to man with every major artist um he came on and Bryn Howarth playing the guitar for me so you've got Raoul Dolly Vera on the flugelhorn Mark Edwards is my producer he's been for many years and so you've got um you know fantastic double bass player Arnie Sovergy and um and a, a drummer Daniel Dan, Darren E Beckett with who, a New York drummer beyond that you would never think and normally you couldn't get but because of pandemic um, they came on and we all just played together. It was a joy in the studio to mm. record these, you know, a mix of um, secular songs, some gospel songs as well. So we had we had absolute a ball recording 25 songs, two albums. Um, you know, these these are the things that I, we realised as musicians that this is what we were born to do. And actually, the pandemic. If nothing else, it, it focused in our minds on saying, this is what we do. This is what we bring to the universe, mm -hmm. to um, people's lives. And this is how we uh, bring hope, I suppose. I yeah. think that's what music does. Yeah. Jonathan, tell me, tell me about um, the importance of, of your, your fans, the JVs, as you called them. I, I talked to a guy called Rick Witter from a, an indie band called Shed 7 recently, and mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Antoine, and they both talked about uh, how important their fans have been during this pandemic. They've kind of, you know, that goal is there, is to get back to those people that that pay the, the pound notes to come and see you. How, how important yeah. is that to you? I can't even put a, I mean, this this is going to sound like one of these kind of the celebrity thing that where they say, oh, you know, my fans are so important to me. And it sounds so disingenuous. My wife and I, sorry, I'm showing my chest to you. I'm, I, I, I must be more demure, mustn't I? I'm, otherwise, you, you've got your, your buttoned up right to the top and I'm, I'm not. Um, uh, the fans, as I often have said in, in opera or anything else, the fans are what we go there for. The, the audiences that come to see you, to see JV or to see Shed 7 or whoever it is, whoever it is they come to see you because they love what you do and your responsibility to them is quite, is, is almost a, an unwritten contract that your contract is with them. It's not with even the record companies, it's with the audiences, the audiences that will buy the, the, the records or, or will download your music or will come to the concerts and will support you through thick and thin. And we've had thousands of people that have tuned into the show. I mean, we did, when we started doing the show, I have to say to you, Alex, we didn't, uh, we, I, I wrote a song at the time from number six. The, the, as an Anglican priest, you will know that actually in the Anglican order, you can only you're the one that can say it. 
because it's the Aaronic blessing, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face so shine upon you. And I'd just done an album just before we did lockdown called Hymns Project 2. And I'd recorded this and it was, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine on you, the Lord bless you and keep you, and give you his peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. The Lord bless you and keep you. And give you his peace. And give you his peace. And I put, we put that song out on the day that the lockdown was announced. I just said to Sue, get in front of a computer, sit down at the Steinway, record it and put it out. And within a day and a half, we'd had 10 and a half thousand views. And now bearing in mind that up to then, you know, you have a few, you might have a thousand mm. if you're lucky. And suddenly people from all around the world were downloading this and it was people writing in who were not Christian, not of faith, nothing to do with faith at all. And they just said, I put it out as a comfort to people. All right. Because at that time, I felt that we all needed a blessing because this was what was going on was unprecedented. And uh, if anything, the church had to be there and Christians had to be there for people who didn't have faith, mm -hmm. who didn't know what it was and people say i wish i had your faith you don't have to have my faith but this this those words which have historicity they have a, a, a background they come from somewhere really special thousands of years old and as aaron holds up his hand and he says the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face and give you his peace and at that time people were so moved and so we then said well let's do it let's put this let's, let's go on and say hello to people live Somebody said, um, my, my nephew suggested I go on and live and do it on Facebook Live. So we did it, sung a couple of songs. That lasted, we suddenly started seeing hundreds of people tuning in. And then it was thousands of people tuning in. At one point we had, you know, 20,000 uh, views within the week. Now that doesn't mean 20,000 people, it meant around about, you know, 10 or 15,000 people, but from around the world. And now what we've got is a stable, almost like an online church of people meeting because they couldn't meet anywhere else so the evening became a way of serving them as they served us as they came and listened to us and then we gave and this is the thing that the fans then became incredibly generous so i would get the interviews i've got 60 interviews with different people different people in different some some christians some not charities that were changing people's lives food banks and they would raise money. I'm almost, Alex, what I did is I put the collection plate around each week and said, let's change a few people's lives. We started doing that. They raised thousands of pounds for charity. I can't even remember what the figure is now. It's thousands. I mean, high, five-figure five thousands yeah. that, we, that they were giving away to charities. And I was seeing lives change because we bothered to get in front of a computer. And it was them, the fans, who were doing this. And what I saw was that if you lose sight of them and you start getting involved in, you know, this is me and my music, me and my, it's not that, it's about them. And so what you do is serve them with the music and the, and the stuff that you're doing. That's what, yeah. that's what I try to do. Does that answer the question? It, does. it makes me just, uh, well, just listening to you talk, Jonathan, makes me want to ask the question, 
uh, your singing is a vocation as much as a profession, isn't it? It has to be, because at times like this, in times when we have earned from, from music since March the 6th, 2020, we, I'm not afraid to tell you, we've earned £1,600 directly from fees, right? That's it. That's what we've earned. Now, people have given us, um, full disclosure, people have been kind and they would send us some money as a gift to get us through, okay? But we received no salary. I receive a, a stipend from a university. I'm a university lecturer as well. So I get 5,000 from them in a year. But apart from that, that 1,000, my wife's little pension from, from, a, from a, um, a civil service pension, that's it. That's what we got like, this year for this. Eight, and it'll be 18 months before we are allowed to perform again in public on the 24th of September down in Devon. They've got a concert down there. So you suddenly it has to be vocation because if it wasn't vocation, I, I, well, what else would I do? And what else, what, what else can I do? I, I'm pretty useless at nearly everything else. <laughs> My wife says I'm, you know, she used to say about DIY and things like that. She used to say, darling, all you need is the confidence. Just have the confidence. Now she just says, let's get someone in, please. Snap. <laughs> Snap. You understand? I totally understand, yeah. Jonathan, can I just ask about your the beginnings of your, your career? Who, who were you listening to as a kid? What were your musical influences as a boy? Oh, Mate, well, of course, I was. I trained. I trained classically, as you can tell. You know, I like Chopin, I like Mozart, and uh, and Beethoven. You know, the, uh, and now, and, and Beethoven obviously was part of a big, big kind of. This kind of big classical stuff. At the same time, at the same time, I was listening to Don't go changing to try and please me. You never left the job before. You always had my Unspoken passion, though I might not feel the care. Billy Joel was my absolute go-to because I was a pianist. Yeah. I loved his style. I loved his lyrics. You know, my life, all that. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Bum, 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 bum. Carry on with your own life. Leave me alone. So I was listening to that. A lot of Ray Charles. Motown, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder was a, I was a huge fan um, of that kind of funk. And um, I suppose some progressive rock, but I, I, I tried to listen to as much as possible, including up to including a lot of classical music, symphonies, piano concertos um, from the, the great romantic, the, the classical composers as it, uh, like Mozart. Haydn, those kind of people, but also later than that into um, much more Rachmaninoff and the Russian composers. So I, I, I tried to soak myself in as much music as possible. So when I started my career as an international opera singer, which was a bit of a shock to me, I have to say, after winning a very big, um, a big singing competition, 
1985, I think it was, uh, the Peter Pierce singing competition. I won that and I also won the Capital Radio Prize. So I won about four and a half thousand pounds in 1985, which was a lot of money and it was, it was tax free. And, uh, but more to the point, I then uh, made, I went, went into um, to Glyndebourne Opera House, which was um, in the very famous opera house. And I went there, start, that's where I started really my career. And I, I took everything in with me. I took Billy, yeah, Billy Joel, Mozart, Verdi, all these things, because and now what do I do? I do you know a whole eclectic mix of stuff, and don't apologise and never apologise for anything that I do because I think music, good music, is good music. That's it, you know. Just as a sideline, I think I read somewhere that uh, uh, just the way you are by Billy Joel, when uh, Paul McCartney was asked. If there was one song he wished he'd written that he hadn't, I do believe yeah. that one. I think it's one of McCartney's favourite songs. And, and with good with justification, because it not only lyrically, but the the way you know the way it goes. Uh, Won't you just wait? Uh, I need to know that you will always be somewhere. I don't know. No, I can't remember that. But um. The, the construction of the song harmonically is just fantastic. But then I went to, I went to a Billy Joel concert uh, at Wembley. My son bought me tickets and uh, it was, I'd, I'd been to a number of them. One was at, um, one was at Earl's Court where I, I was coming back from doing, a, it's a lovely story, coming back from doing um, a, an opera in Barbados, as you do. And it was an opera season and the, the, the Pavarotti was doing one concert and I was doing and a two-hander written by Stuart Copeland from the police. Yeah. And Stuart was there. And um, so he wrote it for me and this other guy. So we performed this. And uh, that was where I got an appearance in Hello magazine. And it, I, I stood next, I was standing next to his wife. And um, I'd had this picture, the photographer came and it said, uh, and here is so-and-so with minor celebrity, Jonathan Vera. And Alex, the term minor celebrity is what offended me most. <laughs> Minor celebrity. Give me a break. How rude. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was, um, and I coming back on the plane, and a woman came up to me. I was sitting in business class at that, that time. That's they had the money in those days, and uh, she came up and she said, "Sorry, Mister Vera. Sorry to interrupt you, but she said, I just want you to know I saw you in Magic Flute at um, a Covent Garden Festival. You know, and uh, I just want you to know I, I really enjoyed it." I said, "So what did you do?" She said, "Well, I I I, I was doing lighting for." Uh, some of this in Barbados but she said I'm a lighting engineer she said but not anything you'd be interested in I'm sure so I said well, what do you mean she said well she said I'm doing Billy Joel at Earl's Court and I went well <laughs> and she said well what are you interested in? she said I'll get you VIP tickets so I got VIP tickets right right next to the stage okay and uh, it was sensational he came out uh, came up standing on the piano singing it's going to be a hard day's night you know <laughs> Beatles yeah and that there's you know what it's like so it's a kind of mutual admiration society between them you know it is yeah uh, but I know I love Billy I love those kind of songwriters that are clever as well as um musical and he's still doing I mean Alex he's still doing gigs now he's nearly 70 I think he's 70 now and he's still doing major tours unbelievable and he's his, his piano skills are still legendary. I can, t I can tell you're a fan. <laughs> oh, yes. Just a bit. Just Jonathan, a bit. one genre we've not 
touched on there in that kind of introduction to music is is the kind of religious music hymns. Mm. What what yeah. how did that evolve for you? Were you in a choir or or just tell us about that? Well, I was brought up in a Christian home, quite strict Christian home actually, Christian brethren. Not a lot of laughs there, I can tell you that. And um, we ended up, I suppose, part of my DNA as a as a child, as, as, as a Christian, was to, to listen to hymns, a lot of hymns. Um, and we had, I, I ended up playing, by the time I was about 11, I was playing and sight reading hymns from, you know. Um, all those, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm too many to mention, here, but um, gospel hymns that uh, that I had to play, I had to learn to play, and I had to play. And they liked it being florid, mm -hmm. so um, be then. In my soul, my and the more florid, the better it seemed. Okay, more. Arpeggios, all that stuff, yeah. and uh, I suppose hymns then became um, part of my history. And I looked at it and thought, well, actually, some of the things that they had to explain, because hymns, as you know, as an Anglican priest, um, you know, the Anglican priest only allowed the singing of hymns, as in written by you and me instead of the Psalter, it was what, 1850 or something like that. And so hymns were, were a new invention in a way and brought in by people like Wesley who wrote 8,700 of them uh, plus in his life. And he left a mark which was a personal statement on what faith meant to them. Yeah. So they'd interpret it through the Bible and then they'd sing about experiences that they had. You know, uh, my, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. So there's an experience, an experiential side to it, but there's also a historical side to it and a biblical side to it. So I quite like, I quite like some of what they've got to say. Not all of them. And listen, when you go through the filtration system of history and sieve out what's good and what's bad, most is bad. And yeah. when you have 8,700 of them, you've got about 10 that we now still sing that we remember. So yeah. that's, that's, that's reasonable. So therefore, when I, write a, when I write a new tune to old words, or I put a few words, tag, tag on some words, I love that we're going to let me go. I, I wrote this. Oh, there's a tune that goes, Hold on, oh, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. That. I, well, I wrote a new song. I am... Um, Oh, love will not let me go. 
And I sat and wrote that and started thinking, you know, there are there there some of these words that have come out of experience. He who wrote that um, lost nearly everything in his life. And he went, he was writing it as a blind person, a Baptist minister. He writes, and uh, I, I see, I trace the rainbow through the rain. And those, those images, I think they're some beautiful poetry, actually, mm -hmm. Alex. And that's what I wanted to try and capture. Yeah. Again, those, those the sense of that because often the modern hymns they're a little bit kind of kitchen sink. Well, um, well let me ask you, Jonathan. I want to ask you because it's, it's on my list of questions. I've just drifted away with this. I've just enjoyed these. Yeah, they, hey, look, you the chat. It's great. It's lovely. But, I love this. But I just want to, um, as as a as an educator yourself, mm. what was your your take on on hymns as education? Because you know there are some great uh, contemporary Christian acts out there. Matt Red, mm. probably the top of yeah. his yeah. But um, you know, we, even in our church schools, we, we tend not to sing hymns as much as we used to. But there's some there's some good messages and theology in there, isn't there? What's your your take on, on that in terms of school education? Well, school education pedagogy uh, <laughs> and and <laughs> it's very interesting. I teach at university, so one um, you know what is bound by certain regulations. Uh, about faith, about being explicit about faith. If it's a church school, I guess they have more leeway. There are, um, uh, um, uh, according to the Board of Education and the diocese here, we can you can do certain things. But you've got to be very careful about what you're doing and what you're putting in. Clearly, clearly, um, there is a move away from in an assemblage from singing. So group singing. Apart from if you're singing, I don't know, you raise me up with a church with a, with a group choir or something like that. They, they will do what I call the kind of songs of praise approach, which is hills, mountains, and um, flowers, and uh, you know all that kind of thing. And yet, what what it misses out is the central doctrine, the truth, as we as we understand it, of the gospel about Jesus and why he comes, the history around him, the stories that we could tell um, when we were. Let me just go back, just step back a bit. The reasons that hymns were written often were not just um, not just because I'm, I read about this uh, in quite extensively. Hymnody comes about, and um, Wesley writes is as prolific as he is because he has a, a, a choir practice. He had a choir practice every Tuesday night, and people they didn't they didn't read. They had to learn the hymns to a largely illiterate audience. Mm. And so what he's teaching them is the stories of the Bible via a hymn. So take carols as an example. Once in Royal David City stood a lonely cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother, mild, Jesus Christ, a little child. So what you've got in there is facts. A lot of, you know, they were there, the logistics of it. And then they have the spiritual content. M Mary was a Jesus Christ, her little child. Now, but what he came down from earth to heaven right there we go theology straight away the incarnation teaching it about that but teaching it in a way that ordinary people could take away learn and you think about uh, you think about carol service people come in who have zero faith and they sing oh come or oh come let us adore him oh come let really really <laughs> is that what you're actually meaning well do you know what 
that becomes part of you. And I think carol services have a way of, of um, reaching parts that other services can't reach yeah. because there's so much part of who we are away in a manger, um, uh, silent night, blah, blah, all of these things. And so I think it can seep into and, and feed us as people later on in life. Therefore, if you're asking me, should we sing them? I think it would be nice if we could sing them. If, um, if it wasn't as controversial as you're trying to, trying to indoctrinate people into your religion. And that would be a kind of liberal consensus that that's not what we're supposed to be doing, inculcating faith into young people. Now, I happen to think that there are uh, ways of actually singing a song uh, with, uh, and, and having it as part of you. Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. When people come into, you, you conduct a funeral. What are the songs you pick for funerals or weddings? You pick songs, don't you, that people are going to sing. The Lord's My Shepherd, Amazing Grace. The school hymns, as we would call them, all right? Because those are the ones that people know. And I guess, actually, that if, if we can, part of the project, the hymns project one and two that I recorded, it, it was about using those words um, to... Uh, I've just got it here right in front of me, hymns project two. Um, just a closer walk with it, make me a channel of your peace. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Just a, uh, uh, what else? Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. And so I, I give new, a kind of a, a new, new meaning to it by recording it with jazz musicians and uh, souping it up a little, giving it a little bit of a kind of a pop feeling so yeah. that you can sing it. You, you know, maybe that's what we've got to do because a lot of people do not want to go into a church and sing with an organ. They just don't want to do it. You know, that's, call it cultural, it's yeah. a, a major cultural shift. I mean, what do you find in your church? What do you do? Well, we, we, we have a beautiful organist and we sing, uh, uh, you, you know, mainly traditional hymns, those that you've just mentioned. You know, that's what, that's what seems to be popular. Yes. You know, I, would, I would like to explore the potential of singing, I don't know, uh, a few Matt Redmond songs. I do think he's got a talent, and I, and, I, and I find the words very, very useful. I wanted to ask you about um, um, sorry, somebody trying to get hold of me. About the you mentioned the uh, the twenty third Psalm there. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. yeah. Is that an, is that a is that something that you've given much time to looking at and uh, studying the Psalms because. You know, if we're not singing hymns anymore, well, we're certainly not singing the psalms anymore, are we? Are there, are there something that interests you? Uh, how could they not interest you if, if in, in a sense, that Psalter was the basis of all uh, Christian worship for hundreds of years? Um, it was the only authorised uh, hymn book, as it were, to sing songs from there. Or you had books like Psalm Praise, in the um, in the sixties and seventies, that were written by Bishop 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 Bourne and people like that, and um, uh, I find the Psalms fascinating. And the reason I find them fascinating is coming from a point of um, I'm by nature. I'm going to put this out there. I don't. I never mind about telling people. I'm by nature uh, depressive, and so um, you know, part of the, this kind of the, the artistic sense of me, um, maybe creative people do tend to be more 
glass half half empty, or as my wife says, never mind about half empty, somebody's nicked the glass, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so when you look at the Psalms, you see Psalms of desperation, as well as Psalms of praise and thanks. And I think they're Psalms of honesty, they're reflections of the honest, uh, the honest reflections of a man, um, he's not an every man, but actually, like every man that, that, and every woman, they have they have these experiences of deep um, despair. Mm. You know, why have you this kind of the cry of the cross? Uh, you know, why have you forsaken me, Lord? That kind of thing, um, and uh, being being chased down by Saul, David being chased down by Saul, and the psalm that, that speaks of this. Then you speak, you go right back to Psalm, and then you, the, the great praise psalms, one hundred and fifty. Um, or number one, um, or number 23, which uh, when I'm going, going through difficult times, it's 23, I read that to somebody who was dying of cancer. Just I read it over him just recently. And uh, we just sat together and he recited it. And here's a man who had no faith background at all. And we just together, we both cried as we said it. And the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me down, leads lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yea, and that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod is with me, thy staff it comforts me. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How can you not be moved by such extraordinary images, um, almost like a stream of consciousness that that comes through in that psalm? And so, it, it brings comfort at a time of. of of great depression and when you want when you want to exuberantly praise there are some fantastic praising with the tr trumpet the cymbal and harp um you know dance um before him so there are those times of exhilaration and what it says to me the psalms is that there's a time for everything under the sun as you know the proverbs say and so uh for me the psalms reflect a lot of what we need to hear mm. even if we don't always want to hear it Jonathan, this time has just flown by because I, I I love music with a real passion. But but Burnley's probably not described as a as a hotbed for opera. <laughs> They're probably far from it. But but uh, it's a it's a genre that I've I've not really dipped my toes in. What is the joy of opera for you as somebody who sings it? And if you were uh, you know asked to give an advert which i'm going to do now is give an advert for opera what is it that that, that is such joyful about it right well you see behind me you see behind me there okay uh that way you see i'm yeah. going to just point to me here oh there we go there i am so that's me in norway doing false stuff this whole thing that went up outside what's the joy the orchestra this the we we sing without microphones the the amount of work that we do to produce the sound that we do. It'd be seven years before they'd allow me to do anything on stage of training properly in an opera house. Um, you then, once you start that apprenticeship, then you go through and that before you do the big roles like that, that I've just shown you as the title role in that many, about 168 times around the world. And uh, you have to go through so much now. The, the musical score, the orchestra, a 68-piece orchestra, you know, a massive band of, of, of musicians, fabulous. Um, when you're in the theatre, the lights go down and the orchestra starts, 
the smell of the theatre, the the great the, the incredible achievement of sometimes up to 150 people on stage singing powerfully without microphones. Okay, that I have to be against an orchestra of 68 musicians and all playing at the same time. But that's my job. And when it when it happens, when it comes together, the genius that is in composing. Now, I might just point out that the, the classical composers were genius. Mozart was a genius. Verdi was a genius. These are fantastic. It's not it's not like writing an ABBA song. All right. This is not genius. This is just clever um, and because and clever marketing. So, so there are some geniuses out there who are um, Jacob Collier, fantastic singer, um, jazz musicians that work and work and work. Often the guys who stand on the X Factor, you know, they sing it in their front room and my grand says that I should be, a, you know, and it's my dream and I, I just want to cry in front of the television. All that nonsense. Well, that's got nothing to do with anything, okay? I was asked, strangely, to go on X Factor. I was asked to go on, to be the... Um, they said, she said, look, she said, ah, 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 we'd like you to go on. She said, ah, um, because she said, we want some quality as well. That's what we want. She said, you won't win. The blind dog from Burnley will win. That's what she said. So I said, okay, all right, that's that's why when you look at a complete juxtaposition of that with opera, which is extraordinary hard work, six, seven weeks rehearsal to get it to that point where you're, it's, it's like um, a polished diamond by the time we finish with it. And you, you're, you're supposed to do it without error. Then, then the, the audience, what they hear is a feast to the ears. It's a feast to the eyes. It, it attacks all the senses, all of them. And it's just extraordinary. Um, and the first time I remember standing out at Covent Garden, I just couldn't believe I was there. And I went out as a 24, 25 year old to sing a small role in um, an opera by Verdi. And I stood there and I could not believe I was doing this. And the sound overtook me and I became very emotional. Came off stage and cried. It was that. It was that. It's so powerful and, and emotion. And when people go, the trouble is that people, I suppose, they say, oh, it's, it's for rich people. It's not for rich people. It's, I'm, a, I'm just a boy from North London, all right? You can hear it, my accent. I'm not posh. But I love the music and I will dedicate myself to teaching that at university and teaching um, from the piano, teaching people to sing in, a, in an almost perfect way as much as they can. And that, that, that drive for perfection is what we do. We never get there. It's always, we're always heading there. And I never have done, I've never done a perfect performance, not once. My wife would always say, how did it go? And I said, well, it's, you know, it's nearly yeah. there. Ne ne next time. The, the so journey's just, the thing, as they say. Just quickly, Jonathan, if somebody is interested in uh, checking out opera, where, where's a good opera to start? What would you suggest to me? Ah, that, now that, that would be, I would say Madame Butterfly, which is a story of Miss Saigon, effectively. Mm -hmm. Madame Butterfly by Puccini. The other one is, um, you could do Tosca. That's quite a good one. Um, it's got some fantastic tenor arias that you'll recognise. Um, uh, Puccini is quite good because you hear things like, you know, That one, I, I don't see that one, it's a tenor aria. But you get bits that you recognise. Um, in, the, in, the, in the Madame Butterfly, you'll hear the humming chorus from the choir. Um, and it's just, you'll recognise it, you go, ah, oh, I recognise that. Another one to do would be the, the Barbara Seville, 
which is a great by Rossini. That one. And you'll, you'll sing along. You'll say, ah, I recognize that. And it's good to recognize stuff. And then you get all the stuff that you don't know. Um, and, they, and you go for the experience. So go for Rossini, Mozart, Marriage of Figaro. You know, that's a great one to start with. That's Mozart. And Don Giovanni. It's a fantastic, dramatic opera. And um, I did that so many times, Glyme Bourne with famous Curity Canawa and all that kind of stuff. So all of those are great ways to start and, and, to, and to listen to. Listen to it on Spotify, listen to it, but go and book one. English National Opera, they do it in English, so you can understand it. And they've got super titles over there. You can get, you can get cheap seats in there. Okay, so you're not paying a fortune to do it. But even if you're paying 20 or 30 pounds, you go and do that to watch a football match or for 50 pounds. So um, go and go and experience it. Don't don't dis don't dis it before you've tried it, man. No, I will. I will definitely go and uh, put some on my Spotify the minute we've finished. Jonathan, it's been <laughs> it's been brilliant. It's really brilliant talking to you. Like I say, I, I really love. Fantastic, mate. I, I, I've enjoyed it so much. I love doing these. They're great podcasts. Are great yeah, fun, and I, I just commend uh, commend uh, Sunday night. Sunday night, Jonathan Vera, friend me on Facebook. You can come and join us on YouTube or Facebook, eight o'clock on a Sunday night, and we do it live from the Steinway Room. Um, and uh, who knows? But I can't, can't remember who's on this week, but we've got loads of special guests coming up, people coming into the studio to play. Bryn Howard, the famous um, uh, slide guitar player. I've got Mark Edwards, the famous um, uh, my, my producer, fabulous pianist. Uh, Richard, uh, I can't remember. Oh, no, another fabulous pianist coming in who will just just blow your socks off, as well as interviews and various other things that we do. So that's on a Sunday night. Join us there and, and, and learn more about me. Otherwise, jonathanvera.com. Go on there and find out about what we're doing and where we're doing it, calendars and everything else. Alex, it's been very, very lovely of you to interview me, and it's uh, great, great to talk. Wonderful, Jonathan. Jonathan, could you play us out with... Well, can I make a request? I've got uh, one of my favorites is Ave Maria. I don't know if that's in your portfolio, but also the 23rd. Let's, Jonathan, let's just say cheerio okay. and we'll play out. And uh, and thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on the Gold Class. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, mate. God bless you and have a, have a good post-pandemic. Um, let me do the other one, which is um the Lord's my shepherd I one he makes me lie in pastures green and lead in waters and heard his voice.
sold my soul to the good. And I will trust in you alone. And I will trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. I will not see the one, for you are with me and your rod and staff are the comfort I need to and I will trust in you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jonathan. God bless from Burnley and thank you again. Thank you.